0: Hurry from the corner at three, puts it in for overtime. Makes it, Hey everybody and welcome to the MVP cast. For me, Mark Woods. My guest in this edition is a guard from Texas who's made himself right at home on Tyneside, 15 years over in Europe, but the last eight in Newcastle and nine trophies with the Eagles. He's also got his own training bit on the side, which we're going to talk about, I'm sure, but welcome to the MVP cast, Drew Lasker.
1: Hey, what's up, Mark? Thanks for having me, man.
0: Let's start on that trophy final from last week, you guys beating Solent Kestrels in overtime and those few days leading up to it. What was the conversations going on there with you and other players about whether you'd go ahead or not, and obviously guys who were thinking about and eventually decided to go home?
1: Yeah, well, everything kind of happened very quickly. Um, The week leading up to it, um, there was conversations amongst the players, ourselves, and we just was all kind of on the same page about the league um, kind of shutting it down because obviously that's when the NBA had announced they were shutting it down and then various European leagues were shutting it down. So in a sense, you know, we kind of wanted... Uh, the lead to kind of save us from ourselves so we didn't have to obviously make any um, big big decisions moving forward in the the foreseeable future.
0: When did you first became aware when was the first time that you you had that conversation whether it came through Ian or or other people but that the guys were going to leave and what was the reaction when you when you heard that?
1: Well, I found out on uh, on Friday evening, so I had been away from my phone for a while because I had I was doing some training um, at the facility, which I do, and uh, so I had been away from my phone for a couple of hours. So I get to my phone, I see, you know, some calls from Darius and some messages, and um, and so uh, McLeod calls me as I'm driving, and um, he kind of asked me, "Have I heard what was going on?" And I was like, "No." Uh, what's up? And he was like, well, just to let you know that, you know, a couple of of the guys have decided that they don't feel comfortable playing in the game. And I was like, OK, you know, he had said that, you know, said those names, you know, obviously, Mike, um, Nick and and Sade at the time. And um, I don't even know if it was actually all those three guys were confirmed, but I just know it was it was a, it was a, I know CJ was kind of involved in that group as well because mm-hmm. he had some concerns and um and i was like you know that's fine you know it, it is what it is everyone has to make a decision what's best for them and then after that he mentioned that they were actually wanting to go home and they wanted to go home that next morning and i was like that's when i was like wow i was kind of caught off guard by that about um about the possibility of them leaving so uh, abruptly and uh, he said and then after that he kind of asked me what are my thoughts on it and i was like look if there's a game going on, then, um, then I want to play. And then he was like, okay. So then after that, it was the question of, you know, as far as like the travel situation do we want to travel the day before, cause we were leaving that Saturday morning mm. as well. And I was, and I was like, you know, for my personal, I just would rather, you know, if we're going to, if I'm going to play in this game, I want to treat it as a final. I don't want to go the day on the game and just play the game just to just to tick a box. Like, if, we, if I decide to play, if we're gonna play, like we need to go into there like it's a final, like it's the biggest game of the season, and like we need to prepare as if we want to win this game. So that was kind of the forty-eight hours leading up into the match.
0: It was our mixed feelings because I mean I spoke to people. You know what I would, we were dubbed in the TV commentary and, that, and I I spoke to people that were yeah you know family first understand it. Other people who were, who were like they could have waited. What's your commitment to your team? You know, is it was just another thirty six hours potentially? I mean, was there a mm-hmm. is there a kind of mixed feeling when you know, your teammates, you, the guys you're supposed to want to go into the trenches with, if we use this more analogy that seems so slightly appropriate just now, but yeah, it was that sort of a little bit of a feeling like could you could you just take one more? Could you just wait a little longer?
1: Well, from my standpoint, I was looking at it from the fact of like I was never going to. Like I said, we had had conversations all week, and um, I was never gonna judge anybody if they decided not to play. Like I didn't have a problem with that. Um, I was just kind of caught off guard that you know guys want to leave so quickly uh, without ha- you know that that was the that was my end of it. Like I was like you know I wasn't gonna judge anyone. Everyone had to make a decision what was best for them, and so from that standpoint, I didn't have a problem with anyone not playing. I didn't even have a problem with guys leaving so abruptly. It just kind of caught me off guard. I just wasn't expecting it. that. I was kind of expecting that, okay, yeah, I don't feel comfortable playing, but let me wait a couple of days and see how this thing is going to play out. And if it's as bad as it is, then we'll, we'll make that next decision. I was just kind of caught off guard of how quickly everything had happened. Literally, I got the phone call that evening, and McLeod has said certain guys didn't want to play and that they were leaving that next morning. And I was like, you know, that, w- that was my end on it. But, you know, I didn't I wasn't judging those guys. I didn't have a problem with that because, you know, I understand everyone has families and they have to do what's best for them.
0: You come into that game and effectively you've got a six-man rotation with respect to a couple of your junior guys and you're getting up there. You, you were coming off an injury. You're not playing a few weeks. CJ, same for him. You guys are dragging yourself in there and I, I looked at the betting, as we said on air, but three hours before the game, you guys were favourites. By the start of the game, Solent had become favourites what was the feeling going in because I spoke to a few of you guys before the game and you were still like, you think we've got enough we'll be okay, obviously CJ had the size advantage over Solent but internally was there that level of nervousness at that point that having lost three key guys that this could be a final that doesn't go your way
1: well for me uh, that once the, the Once Newcastle released the statement that you know we were losing a couple of guys, and then also with Kai Williams not traveling because you know his family was ill, um, I was still I, I was still confident. Like I was very surprised that once I started seeing messages pop up on social media's accounts about how everyone just kind of they just kind of wrote us off. Like, yeah, such and such. You know, they only got six guys. Like they're going to lose. Like, they don't have enough. And I'm thinking in my head, and as we're driving up to Glasgow, because we were driving up to Glasgow as Newcastle released a statement, so we're getting all these messages as we're on the bus, and, you know, we're talking about everything that's going on. And I'm saying, I'm like, well, yeah, we have lost half of our team, but we still got professionals. We still got six professionals. Like, we still are top half team in the bbl in the top league so i was just kind of surprised of how people were writing us off you know uh, you know although um you know they've had a great season they're undefeated they're a great team i was still looking at the fact that hey we're professionals most of those guys aren't as a lot of those guys have jobs and i'm like I i was confident by that fact and then i was also confident by two other reasons i was like You know, C.J. playing was very, very key because I knew going into that game, he was going to be the difference just with the size advantage. Um, I knew he was going to be able to slow the game up and when we were struggling, get us easy baskets and and make it tough on them in the paint. So he was critical. And then once I knew that Defoe and Fletch was playing, um, that's all the confidence I needed, you know you know, not to downplay anybody else, but it's only because I've been to so many battles with those two guys. i played in so many finals with them. And one thing I know for certain is that when the, when the, when the money's on the line and it's a big game, that those two are going to show up. Um, you know, everyone else on our roster is, is, is inexperienced. We got young guys. We haven't had guys that's played in big moments or games. But I was comforted by Defoe and Fletch and the experience that we brought going into that game.
0: I mean, it was a fabulous game for, for the neutral to watch, and I guess the the fact you lost, guys, made it more even. And it was going to, it went to last shots, you know, shots missed missed by Trayvon Wright. They could have won it for Solent. Um, I mean, it was a fantastic contest. But you know, in context of the nine trophies which I think you won now with Newcastle, how does that performance and that victory rank, given the, everything that surrounded it?
1: Well, um, you know, once I reflect on this, once the dust settles and we look back on this, this will be um, right up there. You know, I kind of – it's tough to kind of decide right now on this game and the 2015-16 Cup Final when we played against Leicester just because, you know, the year before we blew the 14-point lead in four minutes – or 11-point lead, I think – within 11 minutes I mean within the last four minutes of the game and then flip it around a year later we're down by 14 or 17 points whatever it was With 14 minutes to go and we come back in dramatic fashion and that ended up leading us to you know I believe winning all four that year so that game will always stick in my head but you know it'll be it'll be this game will be right up there just with everything we had to deal with and and Every not even just for this moment, just everything we done we dealt with this season, not ever having a full squad, dealing with the first year coach, new philosophy, just so many factors that went into this season that once the dust settles, you know, this 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 game will probably this trophy winner will be up there at the top, I'm sure.
0: When we saw after the semifinal, you guys showering Mac with I think it was bottled water. What what did it kind of mean for you guys to give him a trophy? Because you know he's been involved for quite a few years now. As so he stepped up when Fab left it just before the season started, but you know it seemed to be a genuine warmth to to for him to succeed from you guys as players.
1: Yeah, that was led by that was led by Fletch and um, the, a lot of the new guys. They don't probably understand as much as myself, Fletch, Kai, Darius does, but uh, Max stepping into that head coach role, it, it was going to be tough for anyone to follow Fab footsteps. Um, and I don't even know if I would have wanted to take the job to be honest, like, because you, 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 it's a lose, lose situation really. <laughs> and so for him, it was a tough task, you know what I mean? So just with everything, when you're assistant coach and you got guys, senior guys, there stepping into the head coaching role, you never know how that's going to work because it's almost kind of like the substitute teacher kind of aspect. And you don't know if you're going to get those guys' respect and then trying to follow Fab's footsteps. And it's not like, you know, fans are fickle. You know, we've spoiled, you know, the fans in Newcastle have been spoiled. And, you know, I don't think they're going to be patient for a rebuild. Like, they're used to winning, so they're going to want to win. And so, um, you know, I think for him, I, I, I know for him it must have felt great. But from us as players, it was just us showing our appreciation and just to let him know that, you know, we respected him, which is the most important thing as a pro coach. It's not about all this other stuff. It's about respect. Because at the end of the day, you're dealing with men. You can know all the X and O's you want. You can all of that stuff is about do you have the respect of these men in the locker room? And I think that was a moment from our perspective saying, Hey, we got your back, Mac.
0: Let's talk about your own kind of coaching arc at the moment because you've, you've had your own basketball skills development company for, for quite a while now and you, know, you split it between yeah. work you do in Newcastle and work you do back home in you know, the outskirts of Houston tell me about you know, this thing you used to call it, I know, Drew's Basketball Skill Development, DBSD, yeah. thankfully you come the to catch your name, now Train Harder tell yeah. me about that, what's the philosophy behind it?
1: Well basically the philosophy behind Train Harder is just becoming the best version of yourself, so Although it is a basketball skill academy, um, you know, I'm branching off into mentoring and to, you know, merchandise into all the areas. So I want to be able to reach um, all people that come from all walks of life. So that's why I kind of expanded. And, you know, just to give people the confidence that if you believe in yourself, if you work hard, that, you know, the results will come. You know, my journey into where I am today I was never a top player. I was always kind of a mediocre player. And I just got to where I, I've i gotten to just through simple hard work. So, you know, through Train Hard, I just want to inspire, you know, young athletes, not even young athletes, just, you know, adults, whoever that's in there, whatever space that they're in, that, hey, just put your best foot forward, work hard, give it your best shot, and let's see what, hap- what happens. And, that, and even though that doesn't guarantee you success, at least you can go to bed at night and say, you know what, I tried, it just didn't work out. Because that's the biggest thing that I learned in this basketball journey is when I go home in the summer, how many guys say, man, I wish I would have kept, I wish I would have stuck with it, I wish I wouldn't have quit, I wish I wouldn't have gave up. So, um, you know, that's kind of where Train Harder derives from. But obviously our bread and butter is about skill development, and I just want to focus on giving back what I never had. I never went to a basketball camp, I never had a basketball coach Uh, growing up or a private coach or any of these things that we offer and i just want to be able to pass everything that i've learned just pass it forward uh to the next generation
0: man your website you're you're talking about in your bag you're talking about your arc of 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 your career so this is your quote I said I've always been the underdog in eighth grade I was a c-team player with athleticism but lacked skill and that was the moment I began focusing on skill development where did the light bulb for you go off in terms of this is what I need to be my focus and what steps or what changes did you begin to make
1: well that was a turning point for me I was maybe uh 12 years old so um You know, we kind of grew, we, we, I grew up in my mom's hometown. It's called Brookshire, Texas, predominantly African-American area. And in seventh grade, I was the best player on the team. It's a very small town, probably less than 3000 people. And, you know, uh, you know, I heard a lot of noise in the town. Oh, you know, he's the best. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. And then the next year, my mom moved us to Katy, which is a more affluent area. It's only seven miles up the road, but now, you know, Katy has grown into, you know, the hot, the, the centerpiece of houston you know huge area and um and i became a small pit fish in a big pond and i realized then um in eighth grade when i moved in eighth grade and we had basketball tryouts and i'll take you through the moment i just I, that next day we were told that the team list to be posted up in the gym so i get up i get to school early you know i felt confident i had a great tryout I get in there, I look at the A-team list, just assuming I was going to be on A-team. I was in A-team at the last school I was in, and I didn't see my name on A-team. So, you know, looking dazed and confused, I looked down at the B-team list, didn't see my name on the B-team. And just to give you a little context, like in Brookshire, it was small, so you only had one team. But when I moved to Katy, it was so many students that there was only 36 spots to make the team and probably over 100 kids that try out. So many, many kids get cut. And so I look at the B team list. I don't see my name either. And then I look down at the C team list and I see Andrew Lasker on that list. And immediately, like tears just started rolling down my eyes. I was I was so, so hurt. And so I go up to the coach and I ask him, you know, why did I make the C team? And he was like, you know, and I I went up to him pretty much with my mind made up that I was going to quit. And he kind of talked me out of it, and he was like, you know, just work hard, and you know, we'll move you up during the year. And so, you know, long story short, I never got moved up. Ended up finishing the year, but that was the light bulb moment for me. Was that in this journey, if I want to reach all my goals, that you you, you can't listen to the noise. You got to ignore the noise, like rankings and all of that stuff. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter where you come from. It just matters how good you are. And that summer. I worked on my game every single day. Um, I couldn't work on my game during the day. I played because the the outdoor, this is when we used to play at outdoor courts. It was so busy. Um, So I used to go there at night at 11 o'clock at night because that's when the lights would cut on. I would be at my mom, allowed me to go over there every night. And I would go out there every night and practice, you know, not with a plan or anything because I didn't, I was just out there just practicing. And that's kind of where the skill development aspect of what I do now. Kind of, kind of, that seed began.
0: What do you think? I mean, you work with you know a lot of younger people, and you you, know, you work obviously with other players, etc. What do you think is still you know in these days when there's a bit more awareness about player development? Obviously, NBA teams have player development, but you know in Europe as well, it's you know, the concept is there. But yet, you and I both know we see players coming into the BBL, particularly American players. Who don't have the fundamental skills that they need to make a long career out of it? What's the exactly. biggest thing that you see that people still don't have, or why is that light bulb not going off for some of these guys and girls?
1: I think you hit the light bulb on the head, and that's one thing that we focus on. And um, you know, to a lot of players, it might be unattractive, but we are really, really focused on fundamentals. You know, we get a lot of clients and they come in and they want to do, you know, all these great things that they see on Instagram or they see on TV. And I'm like, you know, our philosophy is, yeah, we'll teach you that. But you have to prove to us that you can do all the basics first. You know, it's like a baby. Like you cannot walk. You got to crawl before you walk. So you have to learn all the basics. And once you get the basics, then we'll teach you the meat potatoes. But I think I think nowadays what's lost, what's missing is that. Um, and Kobe Bryant said it best, like you can't get, you cannot, you can't get bored with the basics, um, with the fundamentals. And a lot of, a lot of athletes do, they see all these, 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 these moves and things that go viral and they want to do that. And And my philosophy is you can't skip the struggle. Like in order to get there, like you have to have a foundation. And so, um, that's, what's missing is that the foundation process has been skipped And everyone is just practicing everything that they see on social media. And so when it comes down to the nitty gritty, this game is based off fundamentals. When you get down to it, as you saw in the final, you know, with two minutes on the clock, you know, defensively, I I, I, I take a charge for my team. Like, that's nothing that will probably go viral on social media, but that's fundamentals that play. is is huge or an offensive rebound or you know nothing that you saw in that final came down to anything fancy happening it just came down to executing you know making you know making your free throws making your open shots just making the right play and that's what the game the game always comes down to fundamentals
0: I think there was an NBA coach not not that long ago he was talking about this he said he couldn't believe with a lot of personal trainers so the guys that the NBA players will use particularly in the off season And he said he couldn't believe how often some of these guys spent on behind the back dribble drills. And he said, how often do you actually ever use that these days? As opposed to the time you would spend on, you know, just say free throw shooting or such like. He said, you know, sometimes it's just the little small things that people do is completely off. And he said that was the the points of emphasis sometimes where even for guys who are working at the highest level and your your best players are earning millions a year, sometimes they'd go on the off-season and not be working on the things they actually use. They'd be working on stuff that people, for some reason, thought they had to do. When you're giving your kids advice, and a lot of the times you're working with kids here, I mean, what do you say to them is, is the things when they, you know, because they're not always with a coach, you know, what do you say to them? Like, this is what you should be doing when you're on your own, or if you get five minutes in a gym or before a practice session starts. What's the things you say? Look, like, Focus on this. One okay.
1: thing... Well, one thing that I always tell kids is I always ask them first. I say, hey, have you ever been to an NBA game? And Most of the time, most of them say no. And, I'm, and I tell them, I share with them, I say, if you get to an NBA game really, really early before the popcorns be- begins brewing and all of that stuff, what you'll see is the best players in the world starting right underneath the rim. They'll start off with a little simple ball handling drill with a skilled development coach, get warmed up, get the blood flowing. Then they begin under the rim, you know, form shooting, working on their touch, and they slowly work their way out. And that's one thing that I emphasize to kids because the first thing they do when they hit the court is they want to shoot threes. And I'm like, you have to work, you know, work yourself in and then work yourself out. And I'm like, if the best players in the world start in, then why shouldn't you? And so that's one thing that I really try to um, pass down to them. And one thing that I got from Gilbert Arenas listening to his podcast that um that's becoming misconstrued in my space is you know with these trainers working on you know a lot of these moves is most of these moves are you know they're reactive moves um so <clears throat> a lot of these moves that they work on you might use it once a month so we have like an 80 20 philosophy so like 80 percent of the session we want to focus on fundamentals and basics then 20 20 minutes of the of the i mean sorry uh uh forty uh forty minutes we're working on the fundamentals and basics and then the rest of the twenty minutes then we can kind of get into some of that cool fun stuff because you know some of that stuff we teach you or that you're gonna be working on though in that 20 minutes, you might use that once a month, that move. So you don't want to spend too much time on it. Although on the flip side of it, you gotta have it in your repertoire. So you wanna spend time on it because you never know when you're gonna need it. Whenever that opportunity comes for you to use it. It needs to be in your bag, as these kids say, and you got to be able to execute it. So, you know, you want to be able to spend time on it, but I don't feel like most of the majority of your sessions should be focused on that. It should be focused on the basics and the fundamentals.
0: You've done some cool stuff on your Facebook page at the minute. If you want to, search just Drew Lasker or Drew Lasker 21. But, you yeah, know, we've seen this stuff from the body coach. You're doing your own version of daily workouts for people. Tell, tell us about that. and What was the thinking behind it and what, what what are people gonna see if they're cheating?
1: Well on uh, I, I would, obviously everyone is self quarantined all around the world and and you know my thought process was, and this is one thing I always tell kids that no matter what as long as you have a ball, um you can always work on your game. so you know no excuses. My motto is no excuse, just produce. So there's always something that can be worked on. and for me, I thought, wow, this is a perfect opportunity for most athletes who get bored with working with the fundamentals to kind of spend time working on things that you do probably don't ever make time for, like a jump stop or a jab or defensive slides, things like that that I'm doing in the videos. And, and 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 you know, I just wanted to be able to reach those athletes and just keep them active. And another part of it is also just for our own sanity because obviously if you just sit in, this, in, in your house all day, you'll probably drive yourself crazy and the one thing that kind of motivates you and give you energy is exercising and basketball is a fun way to exercise so initially when I you know had the thought process of doing it you know my target market was okay yeah I'm gonna work with basketball players and then I thought about it, I was like no nah, let's target let's target all people you know this is a great time you know obviously we're all with our families this is an all time this is a great time for us to you know do these drills with your mom or your dad or your sister, your brother, you know, so I make the drills tailored to where you can take them very high level or you can tailor them down. So try to make it fun and just, you know, try to make the best out of a out of out of a out of this situation um, where your mentality can kind of go down a really dark path. So um, I actually didn't see the body coach. I didn't actually hear about him until after I done my first one but I actually watched his and kind of took some tips from what he does kind of engaging with the audience as you do it so I kind of took some tips with him and I and I actually thought I was like you know what this is exactly what I'm doing I'm doing the same thing that he's doing except we're using a basketball
0: and you're not getting a million or 2 million people watching it but you know it's our yeah, early days yeah th-
1: yeah that's that's very true that's
0: and you need to get your own range of cookbooks but apart from that, <laughs> that's the next one.
1: But you know one thing that's important, you mentioned that. And this is one thing I always say to coaches because a lot of people you know, reach out to me who's starting their own program or their own business or whatever. And the, the, the biggest advice I always give them is I say, don't focus on how many people you have on board or how many customers you have. Like, coach what's in front of you. Even if you have one person, if I had one viewer joining in then that's enough for me. I'm gonna coach them to the best of my ability. So, you know, don't ever get caught up in numbers. You know, if you work hard and you do a good job, those numbers will come over time.
0: How much of it? I mean, you're 37 now. So I, I I can't. I haven't quite figured if you're the oldest guy in, in in the BBL now, because obviously someone had to take a riff and fab. But in terms yeah. of longevity, you're you know, you're right up. I mean, what? How much of all the things that you've talked about is, have been key in this longevity that you've been able to have?
1: Uh, well, when I first, when I first got my first job in Plymouth in '05, for some reason, I don't it just unconsciously, I just thought to myself, like, I want to play until I'm 40.
0: Like, I don't
1: I, like, and the reason behind that is because at the time, like, I was so in love with basketball, like I wanted to play forever. And so that was a goal of mine. Like, I was like, okay, I want to play for until I'm 40. And, and so I think the, the, the blessing in this disguise was my first year in Plymouth I dealt with a lot of hamstring injuries throughout the year. A lot of, and anybody that knows hamstring injuries, they're very, very frustrating and they're niggly. And they come and go, come and go. And that ended up being a blessing in disguise because I ended up learning how to really take care of my body. Whereas you see most rookies, they come in, they don't really stretch, they don't really hydrate, they don't do the things that's necessary. They just play because, I mean, your body is capable of it at that age, at 22 or 23 or whatever. But because I was injured so much, I ended up having to focus on my body and making sure my body was right. I was reaching. I remember reaching out to like my trainer constantly back in at college, asking for tips. And over the years, as I got little injuries, I just kind of took it upon myself to figure out what it was and to you know figure out how I can bounce back. Because one thing that anybody knows about British basketball, and it is getting better that the resources are very limited when it comes to physios and doctors. So it's not the same as when you come from college where you get that treatment 24 7 every day. You know, some teams you might be able to only see the physio two times a week. So I had to figure out at that time, like, how to take care of myself. And that ended up being a blessing in disguise. And so, you know, once I turned 30, um, I really started to notice my body changing. My last year at Plymouth in 2013. and I actually thought I was coming towards the end of the road. And I come to Newcastle and get under Fab's tutelage. And I remember um, him meeting with me one day, my first year there. And he was like, um, you know, basically he he put me in a predicament. And this actually happened after the cup final, after we blew the lead. I had a two hour meeting with him, Forrester, and I think McLeod was in at the time. And they were like, you know, I didn't perform up to my ability. And it was like, look, you got the next three months to prove to us that you know, you're going to be here for the next three months or either you're going to be here for the next 10 years. And I kind of looked at him when he said next 10 years. And I was thinking in my head, like, I guess he saw it in my body language. I was thinking 10 years, like I'll be 40. And he (laughs) saw that and he was like, you know, yeah, 10 years. He was like, I believe that if you do the things necessary that you could play for another 10 years. And, you know, lo and behold, He was almost right because it's been seven years or eight years since. But, you know, I just really began to, you know, follow his lead and pay attention to the things that he was doing. Like if anyone that knows Fab, he has a lot of advice. You know, he'll sit and talk to you for an hour at a time. And although I don't use everything that he's told me, you know, I've taken out the things that I've seen him do, watch him do, heard him talk about and kind of implemented it into my routine Works well, best for me.
0: Does that include his homemade toothpaste and all those other weird and wonderful <laughs> yeah. things we've all, we all find about?
1: Yeah, exactly my point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you did your master's degree at, you know, at Northumbria a couple of years ago in, in professional sports coaching. And mm-hmm. what do you, because a lot of time coaches just fall into jobs and they just carry on. I remember speaking to, to, to Derek Fisher a few years ago and you know, I said, you know, What have you developed yourself out of this when he was at the Knicks? I said, well, I just picked it up as a player, and you, know, you thought, mm, is this going to work? And so it proved, you know, potentially. But you know, when you, when you're a player, and you, obviously you, you're taking things from your coaches, right, all the way back to high school and college and professional ranks, etc. But then you go and do it as a study. It. I mean, study it up front as an academic kind of exercise, as, as well as all the practical stuff. But how does that inform you, both as a player, but also with that? all the development stuff and also what you may want to do in the future.
1: I think for me, like when that opportunity was on the table, the first thing that I thought was it gives me an opportunity to separate myself because um, and the space that I am in player development, you know, now I started in 2007 when it wasn't even a thing. Now everybody's a basketball skilled coach and the market is very flooded and, you know, everybody's doing it. But basically I thought to myself that it will give me an opportunity to kind of separate myself from the crowd because I have the player playing experience, which already separates me because not many are able to say they played at this level but then I also I also have the um, the the book the book science to it all and and um you know one thing that I think is evident is just because you played basketball played at a high level it doesn't mean you can coach and just because you studied basketball it doesn't mean you can coach so um, I was very aware of that of just because I've been able to play this song it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm gonna be a good coach and for me I thought it'd be a great opportunity for me to to learn the other side of it you know the mental side of coaching and and i got out of it exactly you know to be honest with you you know i actually when i i actually thought it was going to be me sitting around a table with eight other coaches us having a cup of tea and kind of
0: discussing coaching
1: (laughs) that's literally what i thought it was going to be and i got a rude awakening my first assignment i i can't remember what, what exactly it was on it was something about philosophy and I ended up failing. I ended up making like a 45 or something like that. And that was a huge wake up call. And I was like, wow, I'm actually going to have to really work if I want to pass this course. So, and that was, you know, that ended up being a great thing because then I ended up having to take it, take it seriously and, you know, having to write all different types of reports and all of that. And, and um, it was a, it was a, it was a great thing for me and to be able to get, you know, the philosophy side beside behind coaching, because a a, a thing a a part of coaching that people don't realize that it's a lot more than just standing on the sidelines like you got to be organized you got to know how to prepare you got to know how to write powerpoint notes all these things if you want to be organized and just because you played you won't necessarily have those skills so you got to be able to learn those skills so that's what it was for me being able to learn you know how to operate all that technology and and implement it into coaching.
0: So where does that take you? Does it take you in a route of being a better skills development coach? Does it take you in the route of being a high school coach, a college coach, a pro coach? Where where's that next step?
1: For me, um, I'm the I'm currently the head coach of Gateshead College here in Newcastle. This is my second year in charge. Um, and also I run you know, my Train Harder program, which is skill development. For me, I'm more passionate about skill development. Like That's where um, I feel like my niche is. Like I feel like I'm a good coach. I don't feel like I'm a necessarily great coach, but I feel like that being in this seat will allow me to learn skills that I'll be able to implement into skill development. Um, but you, you never know what the future holds. Like I always said that I wouldn't want to be a coach, like an actual coach. But you never know. Maybe the, the, maybe this is the way the stars are aligning. This is why I'm in this job so I can get better at it so one day I become a coach. I don't really see it, but you never know. You know, Fab told me the same thing, that he never saw himself as a coach. And, you know, and I, actually they just kind of, you know, he kind of touched on it a little bit on the Eagles website two days ago, um, in a kind of a, a, a zoom interview. Um, and you know, the opportunity just kind of dropped in his lap. So you never know where this, where this journey is going to take you. I just want to be prepared for wherever that next step is. And I don't think it's any better time to do it than when you're playing, because when you're playing is when you have the most free time. So, you know, I always try to tell guys to take advantage of the free time that you have and try to better yourself because once you finish, you're not going to have this much time anymore. So you're going to be thrown into something. So why not try to develop skills while you're actively playing?
0: 15 years in this league. Who's the craziest teammate you've ever had?
1: Man, 15 years. That means 15 different teams, which means well over a hundred different teammates. And, um, I had a lot of, a lot of different personalities. um, a lot of weird personalities that would I would consider weird. But <laughs> I would have to say probably back in 2009, 10, I believe, or 8-9 back in Plymouth, I had a teammate named uh, Mike Homaine And um, he was my roommate at the, at the time. And he was he was 6'10", 6'10 kid from Boston, like really athletic and really, really promising and really, really thought he was going to... Um, take us to another level but he just had some weird tendencies and i remember when we were kind of this is when we used to work out at the naval base down in plymouth and he was stretching james noel we were partner stretching and he was doing a hamstring stretch and uh he was stretching james and i was next to him and he was like um dude you know i could just break your freaking leg right now <laughs> and, and i'm looking at him like what and james was like why would you want to do that? Like, if you anybody knows James, he's just innocent. And so, you know, that was kind of the first thing. And then, um, you know, he was my roommate. So he was in, we lived together and he was in the kitchen one time and he had a knife, like a big, one, a big sharp knife. And he kind of, you know, I'm there fixing my pizza, putting it in the oven. And he's like, he's like, uh, making moves on me like he's some kind of like, um, like it, like it's a sword. If you can, if you can kind of imagine (laughs) that the knife is a sword in his hand and he's kind of play fighting with me. And I'm like, yo, dude, don't, don't play with me like that. Like, no. And so, and then the last straw was, um, uh, and the funny thing was is that his girlfriend had came over at the time and she was kind of normal. Like we kind of got on, And anytime she would go to the bathroom, he would go and stand outside the door, which I thought was really awkward. (laughs) And then the last straw was um, our garage was in the back of the house. And that's where our like laundry room was. And it was like two or three o'clock in the morning and I'm asleep. I hear the garage door open and I'm like, I'm thinking of some burglars or something. So I jump out the bed, look out the window and he's just standing there outside, like staring in my window. And so I'm like. I get on the phone the next morning with Gary uh, Stronic, and I'm like, Coach, you know me. I'm low-maintenance. I don't ever complain about anything, but I can't. Like, we got to do something with this guy. It's either it's either him or me. And so, like, a couple of days later, they ended up releasing him. And so, um, you know, that's one. That's probably – Mike is probably the craziest. You know, I've had a lot of, lot of different teammates and, um, you know, a lot of stories. But that one kind of sticks out in my mind.
0: Like guys who he- – don't come out of the locker room at halftime, on a regular basis. You know, a, yeah, the, the stories go on and on.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: How do you guys? I mean, let's talk about this like current state of isolation. How much are you guys? Obviously, some of your teammates are back in the states or in France or whatever. How much are you guys kind of keeping in touch through all this?
1: Uh, to be honest with you, not much at all. Um, I know in our team group chat, um, Forrester and, and McLeod have kind of put some, some stuff out there, just some videos and clips and stuff for us to watch, just to stay active, but there hasn't been much conversation amongst players. I'm assuming that everyone is just kind of focusing their own domain, so it hasn't been much communication. You know, obviously, maybe a little bit through social media, but nothing like personally um, that I've seen. I mean, for me, personally, but um, you know, everyone's kind of scattered across the universe at the moment and kind of obviously stuck in their homes, and I know That it could be very tough, and that's the that's the one part I'm really concerned about, and a reason why I wanted to start those basketball workouts is just because I was concerned about the mental wellness of everyone. I know on day one, because my schedule is crazy. You know, I'm coaching Gateshead in the morning, and I'm going to Eagles practice, and then I'm I'm doing individual training at night, so I'm always, and then I have a family, so I'm always moving around, and and so day one, like I was really like kind of demotivated i was just laying on the couch like not really motivated to do anything and and so um i saw where that could lead people so that's why i kind of wanted to start that to get people up and active and so hopefully everyone out there is at this time just finding something you know now i'm on day you know maybe i think we're on i don't know where we are i know we're over a week now maybe day 11 or 12 and i i kind of got it figured out now like of how to maximize my time and uh, making the most out of it. And, and one thing that kind of stuck out is that actually a couple weeks before this, um, my daughter's three and my wife mentioned to me that my daughter said, why do, why does daddy always have to leave? And, you know, at the moment when she told me that it kind of really kind of stung me a little bit. And so um, it's a blessing in disguise. I've gotten an opportunity to spend every day with her because my wife is working uh, she's working from home, but I'm spending every day with her. So, getting to spend time time with her that I don't usually get. So, um, you know, I think this is going to be a blessing in disguise once it's all done.
0: And you and your wife, one at home, another one on the way as well, a second child.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we're expecting another one. You know, during these crazy times. So, um, but yeah, we're 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 excited. We weren't going to actually share that news publicly. We we're just going to kind of keep it personal. But. Um, the wife just kind of woke up on Mother's Day and felt like she wanted to share with the world. Kind of put some good news out there because, you know, on social media, you see a lot of negative stuff out there with everything that's going on. So, so yeah, our family is growing during this time and, you know, my situation is up in limbo. So, yeah, you no know, crazy times, but not for me, for everybody.
0: Top five BBL players this season. Who would you have on that list?
1: Top five players this year. Let me see. Um... Let me bring up the standings, because for me, I'm old school. That's, that's, that that means something to me, like where you are in the standings. And obviously, I have to go by where we are at this current day because the season isn't finished. But if it did finish today, I would have to go point guard. You know I got to go with my boy Fletch. Um, but I would say it's, it's a toss-up between him and Cartwright. Um, and Cartwright really surprised me because we were his first professional game. And if you saw that Fletch pretty much gave him a clinic i think fletch had like 33 and like 12 or something and he might have had like maybe eight points and i i guarantee you that's a game he'll never forget and after that he kind of took his game to another level so he's impressed me and he's impressed me with how you know how how high he has chest up in the table so a toss-up but obviously i gotta go with my man um the other guard position i would say Uh, probably Naaman Wright, he really stepped up the last part of the season. His shooting really improved, his three-pointer, and I think that kind of took his game to another level. He had some big games and kind of really taken Lester up to another level since the beginning of the year when they were struggling. And uh, the last three spots, um, I will give – I got to go, you know, again, I'm about winners – Worcester they wanted uh, uh, the cup so I got to go with Amir Williams and I think he's been a turning point for their team when he brought when they brought the, actually they brought him in right before we played them in the cup, cup before they knocked us out and he's been a turning point because he's a man he's he makes you change your shot when you get in the paint And uh, the other two spots obviously you got to go with Ovi. Um, he's proven that you know he's on another level you know the way he's played this year. Um, and you can see that the talent is the, t- the talent is obvious. And then for that last spot, I got to go with my with my guy, uh, C.J. Um, you know, he's been dominating. And you know, but, but between him and Williams, it's probably the biggest two trans transactions of the season uh, between those two. And he's pretty much changed the outlook of our team having that you know big body in the middle. That's not only big, but that can play. And I think if the season ended today. You know, I'd be, I would have to give him the MVP. Um, you know, he, he would be high on my list. So that's my five, Fletch, Neymar Wright, Amir Williams, Ovi and CJ.
0: Last one for you. We talk about if the season ends today. Did Glasgow get that title? Do you award the title? It's the philosophical question that's dividing the BBL <laughs> at the moment.
1: I, you know what, I've seen a lot of things on Twitter regarding that and I've had a lot of chuckles on that. There have been and some
0: the, very good memes on Twitter from other teams, it must be yeah, so Yeah,
1: and and, the, and I must say that the league, I, I, I must give the league a round of applause because um, no one is taking that stuff too serious and not too sensitive about it, which is great because all of that stuff is good. Um, and I think that's the next step for the league is to start promoting players, promoting rivals, promoting villains like... That's how you kind of market. I think that would be a great way to market the league. So that stuff is great. Um, but as far as my opinion on it, um, I'm looking at the standings right now. And Glasgow are 12 and three. Um, they play 15 games, which is more than anybody. And although they have less, you know, the least amount of losses, I think London, Worcester, Leicester, Chester, <laughs> Newcastle, Sheffield. Will have a lot to say about us just giving them the trophy um, because they have games in hand. And I think from another standpoint, not only from that, like other teams are prideful, is that I don't really think that those guys would like would really want to accept that. It's I kind of looked at it like when us and Leicester, right? So Newcastle and Leicester have been rivals over the last seven or eight years, and every time we play each other. If one team, like if, if we beat Lester and they're, you know, a man down and they're dealing with injuries, like it doesn't feel the same. Like, even though we, we, we always need that win, like that victory, it never feels the same if we don't beat them at full strength. And I would have to think that the players on the rocks would have to feel the same. Like it wouldn't feel the same with it having an asterisk. But on the other side, I can kind of see where they're coming from because, since I've been in the league, Glasgow hasn't won anything. They've been close. I think maybe in 2006 or 7, you'll be able to correct me. They maybe finished runner-up in the league yeah. and had a real shot at winning the league. So from their standpoint, of course they're desperate. Like It's like we've never won. We've always gotten close, and we have a great opportunity. And no, don't do this to us. Don't do this to us. We're right there. So I can kind of look at it from the perspective, but Glasgow fans, no, no.
0: It's Sorry, the, guys. I guess it's the one unfortunate consequence of switching the league to this home and away as opposed to the three game. And it would have been a 30 game season if you take out the Royals and we probably would have played a slightly higher percentage of games and it might have felt a little different. But when you've only got a 20 game season. It just it makes it slightly more complicated. This slightly unfortunate. Every
1: every game matters, and 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 they have some tough games coming up. They have to come to us. I know they still have to play Leicester, and like like we don't know how this thing is gonna play out. And I can understand if um, our league was set up like other leagues in Europe, where they play everyone plays weekly, and everyone's on the same game schedule. And maybe it was five games to go, and maybe they had a three game league. Like, kind of like Liverpool in the premiership. Yeah. Like, I don't have a problem with Liverpool with us saying that they won the league. Like, it's they pretty much have it by a landslide at the moment. Like, I can understand them circumstances. But <laughs> you're, two, you're four points ahead. You have more games in hand. You got a tough schedule coming up. Like, I'm sorry. That's a tough one. It's a tough one.
0: Ben, you're in Newcastle. Glasgow are traditionally your rivals. You'd have to say that. Or the Fans yeah, yes, would never but... let you flip it down.
1: Yeah, but obviously everyone else <laughs> in the world is saying the same thing that we're saying.
0: Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> we shall see what happens. If you want to follow Drew and uh, find more about his training, you can go to drew Drew, it's been a pleasure having you on. Stay safe and uh, yeah. keep up the, the videos and we'll we'll all be working on it in our back gardens. to them or back gardens right. I I'm
1: I'm ready to see that clip where you're out there in your garden, <laughs> in your basketball shorts, out of the suit and tie. Um,
0: putting in some work a suit and tie I can't remember the last time I wore a suit and tie i won't be getting on my pyjamas for months anyway take care of yourself and thanks for coming on uh, you
1: too thank
0: you that's it for this edition of the MVP cast you can listen to all our previous editions online at mvp247.com or subscribe via your preferred podcast provider feel free to follow me on Twitter at Mark and we've got some great guests lined up for you over the next few weeks so stay tuned but for now from me Mark Woods stay safe out there and goodbye